2: Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. This week, as the results from the midterm elections take shape, we'll get analysis from Brett Baer of Fox News.
3: Fervor around overturning Roe v. Wade was still very, very prevalent, and I think that Democrats capitalize on that.
2: And Ohio Governor Mike DeWine joins us to sort through why he did so well and others not so well on election night. They were more focused on jobs. They were more focused on, uh, you know, the problem with inflation. We'll look at the clear winner of the night, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis.
4: We not only won election, we have rewritten the political map.
5: And what it means. This, yeah. is, this is a guy with a future. This is a guy who's got it all going on all cylinders.
2: Plus, analysis from Mark Davis. Did the Democrats just not get blamed as
6: much for the economy as we think?
2: All this and more. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Great to be with you. Catch my program each weekday morning live, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at HughHewitt.com. And follow me, please, on Twitter at Hugh Hewitt. Follow this program as well at Town Hall Review. We'll begin with an overview of a night that was not exactly what we were expecting, and it is disappointing for me and probably most of you. I think most honest observers of the state of the nation thought that we were going to see a red wave. I was confident, indeed overconfident it turns out, elections are strange things. Our nation is pretty well evenly divided, bitterly polarized on many issues. Brett Baer is no stranger to elections that take strange turns. The Fox News anchor was a guest on my program.
3: The story itself uh, for Republicans was not as good as I think a lot of people thought. Um, but it may turn out um, that they
2: at least have a path to control of two houses. So Kevin McCarthy has his work cut out from what do you think will happen there?
3: Well, I think, you know, with a larger spread, McCarthy's job got, would get a little easier uh, because it's narrow. Republicans have a tradition of, of not making it easy on speakers with narrow uh, majorities as opposed to Democrats, who seem to herd the cats a little bit better. Um, and I think he's going to have to concede to some changes in the rules and things that, uh, that maybe he wouldn't have with a larger majority. That said, Jim Jordan has signed on as an ally to McCarthy. That is a uh, positive thing. And, you know, I'm sure he's working pretty feverishly behind the scenes right now.
2: Uh, to shore up the 218 votes he needs let's talk about the red wave that wasn't or actually it's the red wave that hit the break wall it got over florida it certainly came yeah, over lake uh, erie into ohio but then it hit a break wall what do you think happened
3: well listen florida was transformational uh, politically down there i mean i said the other day that uh, florida politically looks more like arkansas than it does florida of old um there's it's been since reconstruction that No Democrat has had statewide office. And, um, I think, you know, that's a big change. The rest of the country, I think a couple of things looking at it. I think abortion was a bigger factor than, than perhaps at the end we thought that maybe inflation and crime and immigration was going to overtake it as far as, um, importance to voters. But also, I think early vote increased significantly. And a lot of the vote was banked by the time you got to early September. Uh, and, you know, the fervor around overturning Roe v. Wade was still very, very prevalent. And I think that Democrats capitalize on that. Finally, I think as much as I didn't believe that the threat to democracy close was was really effective, it may have been to motivate Democrats. And the former president getting out the days before and the whole back and forth, whether he was going to declare for presidency at the J.D. Vance rally. I, I do think may have motivated some Democrats. He he motivates Republican base, there's no doubt, but he motivates re- Democratic base even greater.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm in Switzerland for the duration on the Republican nomination because I talked to them all, and I'm not going to tip one way or the other. There is the comfortable shoe governor, Mike DeWine, who wins with 66% of the vote. And then there's the steel tip boot governor, Ron DeSantis, who wins with 60-plus percent or maybe 59 percent of the vote. They both won enormous victories. They have both governed as pro-life, pro-choice in the school governors. What do, you, what do you make of the style maybe doesn't tell us much. What matters is being competent. I think that that's the bottom line, competence,
3: effectiveness, delivering, you know, actually delivering um, action. Uh, you look at Brian Kemp who had a very successful election night um, and has done a number of things that he got hammered for publicly on the mainstream media, including um, leading the charge on the change of the Georgia uh, law for voting called Jim Crow 2.0, which uh, you know clearly did not affect turnout. Uh, turnout was the highest it had been in Georgia for a midterm. Um, so, you know, you could point around the country where a number of governors who have succeeded uh, in, in doing things were were reelected.
2: Now, Brett, I would love to obviously start talking to uh, the former president and the current governor on a stage anywhere. Plus, I think the former secretary of state, the former governor of Maryland, we have a lot of Republicans. are going to be. I would like them to start talking on stages earlier rather than later to you, to me, to everyone. Do you think that's going to happen or are they going to hang back?
3: You know, we're going to engage uh, and offer town halls and all kinds of different opportunities for them. What I fear, Hugh, is that this cycle, more than any other that I've seen before, more and more candidates on both sides of the aisle chose not to engage. Do you know how many conversations we had with Democrats and Republicans about debates, about town halls, about one-on-one back-to-back interviews? Most of them, well, I'd say almost all of them, said, no, we got J.D. Vance and uh, Tim Ryan to do it in Ohio. Uh, but everything else came up short. And I fear that in the wake of you know Joe Biden's COVID run for president, that more and more people think less is more uh, as far as engaging and letting ads talk for them. Um, I hope that's not the case. But Hopefully you can help me get them on stage.
2: Well, you know, uh, Brett, what I think is going to matter the most is that people be assured of a fair shake. And you gave that to those guys. And I know both J.D. and Tim, and it was a fair shake debate. I think Raphael Warnock and and Herschel aren't going to meet again. I don't think so. But if they did, you would be the guy. Did you ask Warnock on? Did he ever uh, agree? Never came on. Never came on for an
3: interview. You know, Mark Kelly never came on for an interview. Um, Katie Hobbs obviously turned down all the debate requests and interview requests. So I agree. And, you know, we've offered, again, to the Warnock folks and to the Walker folks, we'd be happy to do, you know, a town hall, a you know, Q&A, whatever you think. I th- Listen, I think it's important that these politicians answer more questions, but they, I think, you know, would prefer cautiousness. Uh, and I'm, I don't think that's to the benefit of the voter.
2: There were some clear winners on election night. One of them comes from my home state of Ohio, where Governor Mike DeWine cruised to re-election and carried along J.D. Vance along with him. Governor DeWine caught up with me on Thursday as we sorted through the national results in the years ahead. Governor, um, you're very pro-life. You've signed the heartbeat bill. I'm sure you will sign whatever pro-life legislation you work on with the Ohio legislature. Why did abortion not hurt you? Uh, and and did obviously hurt Republicans in other places.
7: You, you know, Hugh, I did have people, uh, and, you know, one of the things that I love about campaigning is you just get out there and see people, and, you know, I I, Grant, I stood in front of the Browns-Bengals game of the Monday night, and you just see literally thousands of people talk to hundreds and hundreds of them, uh, and we did that all over the state. I think it did. I mean, I think you have some people who, you know, Came up to me and said, "Mike, I like the way you've run the state. I like your focus on education. I like what you did during the pandemic. Whatever," and but I I, I can't vote for you because you know of your of your position on abortion. So there was certainly more of those people. But I also had people come up to me who you know who said you know that they were uh, independent or Democrat who never never mentioned abortion at all and said, "Look, I'm going to vote for you. I think you've been a." You've been a strong governor. So uh, I think that a lot of people knew uh, it might have been an issue for them, and they may not have liked, uh, you know, my position, my pro-life position, but they were more focused on jobs. They were more focused on, uh, you know, the problem with inflation, our focus on education, uh, keeping kids in Ohio, making sure there's jobs for kids in Ohio. All of those things I think resonated uh very well. And I, I think there is, if you can look around the country with different, uh, particularly governors' races, where uh, Republicans did, you know, very, very well. And I think many times it was because people said, look, they're, they're getting the job done. They're just out there every day. They're conservative. Uh, they're fiscally responsible. Uh, and they're also really focused on the future and investing in, in, in the people of the state. And that's one of the things I've constantly talk about we're investing in our own people we're investing in our
2: infrastructure ohio's on the move now the two the two who won big are you you're the comfortable shoes governor and ron desantis who's the iron toed boot governor right he's, he's out <laughs> there and so well, you two both said that
7: way but
2: <laughs> that's about right right you're the comfortable shoes governor and he's got the steel steel toed boots that you wear on the work side because they're better i i think actually it's a more G- you know, genteel place, Ohio, than Florida politics. Well, I
7: think, look, I think, I think there's a style, there's probably a style difference between yes. the, the two of us, but, uh, you know, we are out there uh, fighting every single day for jobs coming into Ohio. I mean, we're very aggressive about jobs. We've kept taxes down, We've kept regulations reasonable. Uh, we've created an environment in Ohio that's conducive for jobs to grow, and so... You know, I think that uh, while my style may be a little different, uh, you know, I think people
2: like that. Oh, they do. I mean, I like it. Now, Governor, tell me what the uh, backpack bill is going to be like under your uh, stewardship. It will go to the Supreme Court, which is a big win for Ohioans, including your son reelected. But we now have four reliable conservative justices on the Ohio Supreme Court. So if you pass a backpack bill, it will yeah. it will be it's, upheld.
7: Uh, oh, Ohio, Ohio, you uh is a school choice state and you know we, we continue to move further and further towards that and you're going to see continuous movement uh, I think uh, in this legislature uh, legislation where the backpack bill per se passes I don't I don't know but you know what we believe in is 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 parents rights uh, and we believe in giving you know parents choices and, and you know particularly where you know they're in failing schools
2: The biggest winner of election night.
4: We not only won election, we have rewritten the political map.
2: Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. As the
8: Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy enters our 25th anniversary year, we've remained committed to a single truth of world history, that ideas have consequences. To understand these ideas and their impact on today's politics and to test them quantitatively requires the unique curriculum we offer on our Malibu, California campus. Apply now for fall classes at Pepperdine.edu SPP. That's Pepperdine.edu slash SPP.
2: Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. One of the biggest winners of election night 2022, probably the biggest winner, was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Yes, he was expected to win, but the margin by which he won is notable. He received over 59% of the vote his competitor, Charlie Crisp, received 40%, nearly a 20% margin. Just for context, in 2018, Ron DeSantis beat Andrew Gillum, 49.6% to 49.2%, four-tenths of one percent. Here's DeSantis on election night. Florida was a refuge of sanity when
4: the world went mad. We stood as a citadel of freedom for people across this country and indeed across the world. We faced attacks. We took the hits. We weathered the storms. But we stood our ground. We did not back down. We had the conviction to guide us, and we had the courage to lead. We made promises. We made promises to the people of Florida, and we have delivered on those promises. And so today, after four years, the people have delivered their verdict. Freedom is here to stay. Of the people of Florida, we not only won election, we have rewritten the political map.
2: Joe Piscopo, my colleague on AM 970, The Answer in New York City, turned to Michael Goodwin of the New York Post.
7: In Florida, a lot of that I, I, I turn I remember going down and when I campaigned for Donald Trump uh, early on in 2016 and I went to all the Puerto Rican communities all the Cuban American communities they loved Donald Trump and he was the guy I think Donald Trump was that's helped turn Florida red and I, I, you know so I understand the criticisms more than you know I, I understand what you're saying but yeah I think you got to give him credit for really lighting a fire under a really boring Mitch McConnell Republican party and you could give uh, a Trump some credit that regard
5: I do uh and look I I supported most of his policies as president um and I th- you're absolutely right that he did light a fire in the Republican party um but I, but I just think that his best contributions are behind him I I don't think he has uh <laughs> excuse me I don't think he has the draw anymore I think that the Democrats have done a good job of of tainting him with January 6th. I think that all of the suits against him, all of the uh, pending prosecutions that I think we're going to see stepped up now once the election is over. I just think he's becoming more of an albatross than Mm -hmm. he is a savior. And uh, look, I could be wrong, but I, I think the Trump candidates are not sort of where the Republican Party is and so you know to attack DeSantis after what DeSantis did yesterday I don't know how many of your viewers Joe got to see DeSantis's speech you can find it on YouTube yeah. less, than ten, less than 10 minutes you look, look at that speech and you see wow this, yeah. is, this is a guy with a future this is a guy who's got it all going on all cylinders um, what he—I mean, no one saw that blowout coming yesterday. Right? There's not a poll that predicted he would win by something like 19 points as it is now, mm-hmm. um, and and the speech itself was a masterpiece in not just touting what Florida has become, as he put it, a, a refugee for the exodus of people from the blue states, but that. He, he won uh, Miami-Dade, which is for the first time in what, how many years a Republican yeah. won that. Uh, it's no longer just Cuban. Uh, it is 70% Latino. Uh, so for a Republican to win that is a, is a great sign nationally for the Republican Party. So I just think there are all kinds of things. Let it play out. But for Trump to try to smother DeSantis, and to kill him before he can even get going, I think is just shameful. And I don't think I don't think there's going to be any tolerance for that the way there was the last time. Uh, I think the Republicans are, most Republicans, I believe, want a candidate who can win. And Donald Trump, I think, yeah. is, you know, he may not be that candidate anymore. Mark Davis
2: sees what I'm sure many of you see, a formidable national leader in Ron DeSantis.
6: October was an amazing pendulum swing of polls, and you, me, a lot of people uh, took a look at this and said, well, it just looks like we got this in the bag. But this is why predictions are a dangerous game. Did the Democrats just not get blamed as much for the economy as we think? I think that's part of it. All these voters said the economy really means something. The economy is terrible. The economy sucks. The economy is killing me. And we all thought, well, that's great. Surely they're going to blame Biden. Surely they're going to blame Democrats. Eh? What's not like they blamed us. That's not our fault. But maybe it just wasn't as the economy. Maybe wasn't as partisan as we thought. Now, we spent a lot of time saying that we're talking about the economy, talking about crime, talking about borders, talking about this, talking about that. And the left is spending a lot of time talking about uh, abortion and uh, democracy uh, hanging by a thread. This one kills me a little because, again, it, it didn't it didn't have to resonate much. If just a few voters, if just a few low information torqued off voters because it was easy for me to sit here and ridicule the abortion wave which i don't think happened but it it might not have been just the the ripple that i thought it wasn't the big you know massive chorus of of democrats rising up to say you know we will not have this uh this this dobbs decision we will we will walk on broken glass to make sure there are huge democrat majorities that didn't happen but if just if just a few of them And I got to tell you, this election denier, uh, January 6th, it's, it's the stupidest thing in the world. But look, we're talking about voters who like open borders. We're talking about voters who are okay with baby killing. We're talking about voters. And there are millions of them. There are millions of Americans who are okay with baby killing. There are millions of Americans who are okay with taxing us into oblivion. I'll tell you what. First of all, for the 100th time, thank God we live in Texas. And thank God for Florida. Because on on a morning where we all wake up and go, that's not what we were expecting. In Florida, Ron DeSantis reigns supreme. And if some of our candidates, many of them Trump-backed, didn't do so great, and DeSantis single handedly changes the political map of Florida. We have one rising star in this party right now. One rising star who's on the ascendancy. His name is Ron DeSantis.
2: Coming up, frustrations with the voting process continue.
9: This is not
2: how our system is intended to count votes. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Stay with us.
1: Hey everybody, Charlie Kirk here. We've been working very hard on an amazing new docu-series called Border Battle. It chronicles the horrifying conditions on America's southern border. What you are going to see in Border Battle will blow your mind. It's amazing. First-hand interviews, incredible commentary, straight up on the front lines. We've worked very hard on this from Turning Point USA, and we are exposing the border crisis. Available exclusively on SalemNow.com. Produced by Turning Point USA. Available at SalemNow.com.
2: Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It was June 24th, earlier this year, when the Supreme Court released their final decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health. There is no question that the upending of the Roe decision was going to cause angst on the left. But how much did it impact what we saw on election night? My friend Dennis Prager turned to Julie Kelly of American Greatness.
10: Exit polls show abortion was a much bigger issue than most polls indicated before Election Day. So exit polls show, for Democrats, the issue that most determined how they voted, 76% said abortion of Democrats, 76%. Second was guns. Inflation was 28%. Immigration, 25%. Crime, 41%. So these these are national exit polls, Julie?
9: Yes, this was an exit poll, I believe, from CBS News. There are a couple floating around, but I believe that's the one that I did the screenshots on. People can find it at Julie underscore Kelly, too. But, Dennis, that was a shocker. I mean, the, the earlier polls did not indicate that abortion would be a major issue. But according to this poll and others, it was the number two issue overall after inflation.
10: So for Democratic voters, the most important issue, the country is being ravaged by inflation and crime, and their bigger issue, I want to get this clear because I, I don't want to ever overstate this, was abortion, is that correct?
9: Yes. Wow
10: this this is such an important uh, revelation if people ever want to know how disunited the so-called united states are i think that this would be it now let me understand something it says 76% of democrats abortion and 23% of republicans so that does that include pro-lifers in other words as important as abortion is to most republicans it's not as important as the other subjects is that correct
9: correct right so i'm assuming that that's capturing you know pro-life republicans who of course do view abortion as is a major issue but not in the same way that democrats do and you know there were referendums in michigan i believe it is to protect up to 24 weeks the right to have an abortion so that definitely came into play of course in that state and Obviously, it influenced some of these congressional races that Republicans thought they would pick up easily, but, but have not.
10: You're a major observer of America, and, and it's, it's politics and its values. Were you surprised? Oh, yes. Wow.
9: Yes. I'm surprised at the results of it coming out of these exit polls. I'm surprised at the results in these congressional races that were toss-ups. I think there are a lot of factors. I think the the reaction to blame Donald Trump for this is off base. He certainly takes responsibility for a few candidates, but there are a lot of things at play here, Dennis, as you know. And, you know, we do not have a secure, reliable election infrastructure. I mean, we're seeing now it's going to be days, if not weeks, before we get results from Arizona and Nevada. This is not how our system was intended to count votes and Democrats, of course, know how to exploit all the holes, know how to create the holes, know how to prevent oversight. They're getting big help from big tech oligarch, Mark Zuckerberg, as we saw in the 2020 election. So this is really a danger. When you talk about a danger to to democracy, this is the danger, that we do not have a safe, secure, reliable, transparent election infrastructure
10: why aren't americans embarrassed by the fact that we're one of the only functioning democracies that has election results days or weeks later we including forgetting even comparison to other democracies compared to our past before computers we 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 knew exactly what the tallies were that night
9: because they're afraid, Dennis. I think the portrayal of skepticism about the 2020 election, uh, Democrats have successfully branded that the big lie. Uh, election denier, we now see is a permanent part of the uh, political lexicon. I mean, you had CNN and MSNBC host last night, and analysts just using those words with ease. You know, well, this is an election denier. Democrats try to portray anything as a voter suppression or election denier or you're preventing people from exercising voting. You know, this, this intimidates people out of speaking out. I mean, even things that are so obvious as mail-in ballots, a big flood we've been warned now by the New York Times in Nevada and this very and those tight races there. Everyone instinctively knows that that's wrong and they know how the Democrats historically have exploited things like that.
11: Coming up. When the students talk about politics nowadays, they are more likely to quote somebody on Twitter or TikTok than they are their own parents.
2: When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment.
8: As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy enters our 25th anniversary year, we've remained committed to a single truth of world history, that ideas have consequences. To understand these ideas and their impact on today's politics and to test them quantitatively requires the unique curriculum we offer on our Malibu, California campus. Apply now for fall classes at Pepperdine.edu SPP. That's Pepperdine.edu SPP.
2: Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. One of the reasons I was hoping for a dominating win for the GOP this past week is because we need to seriously beef up our military spending. Related to that, we need the upcoming generation to step up to the task. Our next guest is wondering, are they ready and willing to take the mantle of leadership and defend this country, the greatest experiment in constitutional democracy the world has ever known? Jeremy Adams is concerned. He's a veteran teacher, California Teacher of the Year in 2014, and the author of hollowed out a warning about america's next generation he was a guest of charlie kirk
1: tell us about your book and why you decided to write it
11: yeah well i've been a teacher for almost 25 years now and one of the really interesting and and unique things about being a teacher is that you start to see things in the classroom that the broader society takes a while to, to figure out and having taught for 25 years i'll tell you in the last five to seven years there have been some profoundly disturbing changes in the way that my students spend their time, in the way that they look at the country, in their value system, in the way that they look at adulthood. Uh, and this book is really essentially a, a battle cry. It's me waving my hands in the abyss saying, hey, other adults in America, uh, we have a profound problem here with our young people. And I was, I couldn't agree with you more. This is not a political issue. It is a cultural, yes. spiritual, and moral issue. Uh, our children are literally being hollowed out of the values and the behaviors that typically give life its meaning and its purpose.
1: So tell me, what are you seeing? What is that warning? What is the canary in the coal mine?
11: The problem is that our young people literally are living their lives untethered to adult values, adult responsibilities, adult morals. They spend their time in a way that you and I, and I know you're a bit younger than I am, I'm sorry mm-hmm. to say, yeah. but you know, they literally spend nine to 10 hours a day on their cell phone. That's right. And think about that. When you spend 9 or 10 hours a day on your, your, your cell phone, that means you're not dating, you're not going out, That's right. you don't have intensive friendships, you're not reading. And nowadays, literally the attention span of our young people has been destroyed. I don't know if you saw this, Charlie, but a few days ago or a few weeks ago, our friends at Netflix realized that teenagers were reading the subtitles. And they thought, oh, this is great. Now the young people are reading. No, 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 no. They were reading the subtitles because they didn't want to miss anything in the scene and they wanted to go right back to their cell phones. Okay, so we're talking about a generation that is not only more lonely and more isolated, but, you know, it's interesting because our friends on the left, you know, if they want to insult the book, they'll say, well, you know, every old person uh, is a curmudgeon and a crank. And they think the next generation is going to hell. No. What I'm seeing in my classroom is that my 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 students, who I care very deeply about, are the most unhappy people in American history. They are depressed. They are isolated. Look at the data. Even the New York Times is doing articles about how young women are going to the ER. They're literally going to emergency rooms because their mental health is in crisis. Look at the self-harm, look at the rates of suicide, uh, and of course, it makes sense, Charlie. They don't have the kind of connective tissue that typically gives life its meaning. They they don't have intensive friendships. They don't go to church. They don't have meals with their parents. And, you know, as you've pointed out before, these problems were here before COVID, you know, and COVID Oh my goodness! Just put them on steroids. I mean, amplified them and made them worse.
1: So, just let's take a sample year: uh, average junior or senior in high school in two thousand, average in two thousand ten, average two thousand fifteen, and then average now. The reason I'm asking is because your detractors or your critics will say, "Oh, these kids grow out of it," but no. You have a couple decades sample size. Mm-hmm. Where you could would you say that the average student in the year 2000 2010 were marginally within the same issues yeah. worldview and then you saw it just go off a cliff? Can you exp- can you expand on that, please?
11: Yes, th- that is such a great question. Thank you for pointing that out is uh, if you look at students from you know 1998 to 2010, you know, roughly roughly the same experience. But in the last 10 to 12 years there has been a a radical change. I mean, I I could go on and on, but I mean, so many things. Number one is students used to, when we talk about politics, you know, students used to say, well, my mom says this, or my dad says this, or my grandparents say this, Charlie, nobody talks about their parents anymore. Nobody talks about their grandparents anymore.
6: They don't care. Uh, People
11: don't eat. They they don't talk to them. Um, You know, people don't eat meals with families anymore. I remember about five or six years ago, I mentioned the phrase, the family dinner. and My students looked at me like I was on something like, what are you talking about? I said, you know, You know, when you sit down with your two parents and, you know, you sit down and and eat a meal. They're like, we don't do that. Most of my students, because I live in an impoverished area, most of them uh, have a single parent. They're working multiple jobs. Uh, When they get their dinner, they go to their room and sit on the couch. The kids, they go to their room. I mean, let's be honest. When the students talk about politics nowadays, they are more likely to quote somebody on Twitter or TikTok than they are their own parents. But the big, big, big seismic change, and this is the big one, cell phones, the technology has changed everything it is a i mean there is a chasm a grand canyon between you said 2015 about 2014 2015 and today everything changed uh i mean if you think about it this way if you were uh an alien and you came down and you looked at kids in the year 2010 and then you came back in the year 2022 you would think that we'd evolved to look down all the time that we now have something that's evolved into our hands. Um, the attention spans are zero. I mean, one of the most disturbing things that I saw last year was that a student at the end of the year said, Mr. Adams, you, know, you keep recommending all these great movies for every unit. Like, you know, I was teaching World War II and I'm like, when you get older, you got to watch Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. And they're like, we don't watch movies. And I said, well, why not? And they're like, well, we, we can't pay attention to them. We can't sit there for two hours. There's no way. And not only that, by the way, but when you talk about anxiety, I mean, think about this, Charlie, when you and I were growing up, If we had a bad day at school and you got in a fight with your friend or a teacher was a jerk to you, or you're just stressed out, you know what? You go home and you get 16 hours away from it. Our kids are on all the time, you know? And when they're having a fight with a friend, it follows them home. They're on their devices nine or 10 hours a day. And again, the pandemic made this so much worse. It added on average four or five hours a day of being on their devices. So these kids, I mean, imagine being a boxer and you go into the ring And when you go back to your corner, imagine there's nobody there, right? There there is no family dinner. There is no church service. There are no adults. There's nobody to give you any water, say it's okay. And the next day they're going back into the ring. No wonder they're stressed out of their minds.
1: Why have parents basically abdicated their responsibility or their role? I believe it's the worst generation of parents in the history of parenting. I could prove it through a lot of different things. Am I wrong here? Or do parents just not understand the severity of this?
11: If I'm going to be perfectly honest with you and your audience, uh, I wrote *Hollowed out 95% because of the things I was seeing as a teacher. But you know what? I I haven't been a perfect parent either. I am guilty of one of these people who gave my children devices before they absolutely should have. As human beings, we learn by example. And we are either improved or depraved by the examples in front of us. And so what we have done by Mm. giving our children these phones is we have displaced the connective tissue of adulthood and replaced the you know the, the toxicity of these phones instead. I mean, think about it this way. You know, I, I can't believe I actually have to say this, or you have to say this. You know, you actually have to raise children. I think that we have a fetish in this country with childhood and elevating childhood values and elevating childhood behavior. We actually have to stand up and be the adults again. Coming up. If the adults are not going to be the adults, at the end of the day, you're going to have an infantile society. More with Jeremy
2: Adams on Hollowed Out in the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Stay with us.
10: Hi, I'm Georgine Rice. This week in the Christian Outlook, sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. We'll look at the election and why that massive red wave Dissipated. The Democrats have been
6: far superior in communicating their message, even
10: if their message is pure baloney. We'll look at the delayed results and why it matters.
4: You have a greater risk that there will be a loss of confidence in the
10: integrity of the voting system. Plus, abortion was on the ballot.
11: Voters showed up and they voted to enshrine abortion in state constitutions. And what
10: we need to do about it.
9: We need to vote for lawmakers who will protect life and who will protect the pre-born.
10: All this and more, be sure to join us and visit our website at christianoutlook.com.
2: Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Let's return for a few more minutes of Charlie Kirk with Jeremy Adams talking about hollowed out warning about America's next generation.
1: And I love the thesis here when you describe your book, do teachers have a front row seat to America's decline? In some ways, you are the canary in the coal mine, you're the harbinger, you're the warning of things to come. I mean, so let me ask it this way. How does this generation mature? What does this look like 10 years from now, absent immediate intervention? You're trying to say it's really bad.
11: You know, when you look at, you know, essentially the relationships and the institutions that build a civil society, I mean, Aristotle understood that the first family, the first political unit you're ever born into is the family. And when we look at the amount of you know, family time that young people are spending uh, with their actual family, it is, it, it's less. It really is down to the parent because you know you go to a restaurant and you'll see a family and we, my home family, we've been guilty of this and we are working on it is, you know you sit there in silence. I mean, let me, let me tell you a quick story about this. So as a teacher, about 10 years ago or more than that, uh, if you ended the, the day early, said, okay, kids, you know, we're done with the lecture. we got two minutes till the bell rings. You know, do whatever you want to do. You know, the, the class would erupt, right? And kids would just talk and talk and talk yes. and talk. And they'd be gossiping and flirting. Same with parties. You go to a teenage party, people are loud. They're getting rowdy. Let me tell you something. Nowadays, if you in class early, silence, Charlie. Silence. Oh Nobody is engaging. I went to a teenage party a few years ago to pick up my daughter. And I walk into the room. I expect them to be, you know, yelling and everybody's in there on the couch looking at their phones the adults have got to remove it again if the adults are not going to be the adults at the end of the day you're going to have an infantile society i mean you're talking about what does this look like 10 years from now we're looking at the fact that they 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 don't want to commit to things they don't particularly think that the country is worth defending Uh, and most of all their attention spans are dead
1: so battle plan for parents what's the big takeaways what are the action steps
11: yeah, the, the biggest takeaway is you have got to put yourself back into the physical place space of your children. What does that mean? That means taking away their phones. That means family dinner. That means being involved in school. That means number one, talking to them. The, the studies are very clear, conversations, even if you're talking about silly stuff, actually talking to your students every day is the number one thing you can do. You have to understand one of the, the, the worst things about, about the COVID uh, lockdown was a lot of our young people forgot how to engage the kind of the kind of membrane that connects families and connects communities were, were destroyed young people aren't going to football games uh, and you ask them why and they say well because it's awkward I might have to have a conversation yep. with an adult they don't like to look you in the eyes as much anymore so we've got to put ourselves back into the physical spaces but the other thing I would say and this I cannot underestimate this em- enough I mean you have got to also put yourself back into the moral and spiritual space of our young people
2: thank you for joining us today. Town Hall Review is part of the Salem Podcast Network. If you haven't signed up for our podcast yet, why not take a minute to do so? Go to townhallreview.com. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Shubin, producers David Puchon, Michael Cook, Tim Gantner, Adam Ramsey, and Dwayne Patterson. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you.